Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones, Bowden, he's got it, England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away, through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Well, I make no apology for playing that anthem, which I actually joined in yesterday at the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, just revisiting briefly my Welsh ancestry, which is perhaps a little bit tenuous. But actually, that atmosphere at that ground for the Wales-England Six Nations match was Absolutely compelling, mind-blowing, that singing at the start. The Welsh won the singing, hands down. Of course, they didn't win the match. But that anthem at the start was really spine-tingling. And this, this was the crescendo at the end. Simon have you got any Welsh ancestry uh, I have actually I've got a Welsh grandmother um, but I grew up in Bristol and there's all there's a big rivalry between uh, sort of Bristol and, and South Wales and you know we when I at school I played you know quite a lot of rugby against Welsh schools and there was always that extra spice uh, when we went across the bridge and normally we got beaten up and sent back with our tails between our legs so what what's your Welsh ancestry then well, you know, Hughes is one of the most common Welsh surnames after, you know, Jones, Jenkins, Williams, etc. But that's not the only uh, link. It's also that my father was probably a third Welsh because his father was two thirds Welsh. His father was John Hughes. My father was Peter Hughes. And obviously I'm Simon Hughes. So, yeah, I think probably my a bit of my left leg is Welsh. And that's the leg that's... <laughs> Kept letting me down, actually. That's the one I've had about four operations on. 
And it looks as if Wales need a few operations on their rugby, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's sad to see in a way. I, I love rugby and I love the Six Nations. And by the way, we are going to talk about cricket in this podcast very, very shortly. But it feels like rugby belongs in Wales. And yet, at the moment, they're playing badly. Yeah, what was it? What was the game like? Uh, I mean, I what I did watch, uh, not it all of it. I, watched, I mean, I it was some a good game. Two, two good tries by England, um, uh, sort of two wingers' tries, and they were their forward strength. England's forward strength was just a bit stronger and probably more disciplined than the Welsh overall. Yeah, it was quite a tight. It was in the balance for probably two thirds of the time. After which I had about four Guinnesses and I was cheering for both sides. I mean, you want to see a good game, don't you, actually? When you go all the way to Cardiff and you get embroiled in that atmosphere, you want an exciting game. In the end, England were just a bit too good. Yeah, well, it was 2015 for, no, 15-10 for quite a long time, wasn't it? And the game was in the balance. Wales uh, were attacking, putting pressure on England. I mean, I, I played a lot of rugby when I was younger and I still keep an eye on, I watch the internet, the big international matches, but it's probably my third sport now. So I'm not, I'm by no means an expert, but when I watch England, it absolutely drives me mad how often they kick the ball away. And I know they, they do a lot of kicking and chasing all that, but sometimes they're in the great attacking positions and they kick the ball away. And they did it yesterday, about 10 minutes from the end. They had a great attacking position down the right-hand side and they kick the ball away. And I can just... I hear my old rugby coach saying, keep the ball in hand, keep the ball yeah, in there, hand. Anyway, there was a lot of kicking yesterday, actually. There was a lot of up and unders, which I didn't quite fathom in a way. But uh, just to go back to the anthems, uh, I mean, my father, as I say, was sort of two thirds Welsh and he supported Wales in the Wales-England matches. And he just loved male voice choirs and obviously any sort of singing from Wales. So yesterday they actually sang Bread of Heaven as well. And that just, it's so rousing. It's just, it's actually worth the admission money just to turn up to listen to the singing. Forget about the rugby, really. I mean, it was, it's absolutely, I mean, 75,000 people, probably 60,000 of them Welsh, all absolutely singing their hearts out. It was, it was wonderful. We better talk about some cricket there, yours. There's plenty going on. Plenty has been going on. Where should we start? Should we start with the, the Women's T20 World Cup and then move on to England in, in just a moment? I think we should. Yeah, yeah, I Congratulations agree. to I, I Australia again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, what, what a what a team they are. It, and you watch them. They defended that score. They managed to eke out 154, which was a good score on a slightly tricky Cape Town pitch. And the South Africans really were never in it. You know, there's a couple of moments when you thought Laura, Laura Wolfhart was, was smacking it beautifully. But yeah, Australia. They they bowl superbly. They're so disciplined. They they bowl to a plan. They bowl to a field setting, and just difficult to see. Maybe South Africa needed some left-handers or something. That was one thing that I think hindered them a bit was they had all right-handed batsmen, and of course the star performer of the game really was Beth Mooney, left-handed. She to me is the sort of um, Australian female equivalent of Adam Gilchrist. You know, she's a dasher. She smashes it uh, from the from the from the off and very difficult to contain. Brilliant innings of what seventy odd, seventy nine. I think she made decisive innings in the match. No one could really contain her, and it was that left handedness that gave her the width that she could explore both sides of the pitch. Whereas the South African batters were seemed to be restricted to mainly hitting through the leg side, apart from Wolfhart, and the Australian bowlers were able to bowl tight to the stumps, defend the leg side boundaries. 
They were just too good. And, uh, you know, I don't think England would have done much better had they got to the final because the Australian bowling was outstanding. Yeah, two tight semi-finals, both uh, a handful of runs deciding them, uh, Australia beating India and then South Africa be- beating uh, England on Friday. Uh, Beth Mooney, she played 140-odd times for Australia in, in all formats, you know, b- player for the big occasion, really experienced, and, yeah, her innings was the glue that got Australia home, really. But you're right, but, I, I, you know, I, I, there was never a moment when South Africa were batting when I thought they were going to win the game. When Wolfhart was just before Wolfhart was dismissed, possibly she would need a real day out from there. You know, probably you know get close to a hundred. But there was never a moment, and they were what twenty-two for one after the power play. So they were always behind. They were always trying to catch up. Again, I mean, it's a fantastic Australian side, isn't it? I mean, they they are. In, in the women's game, they are so dominant. It was their sixth title. No one was surprised that they won the match. Actually, you know, probably, there might be a few people surprised at how relatively close it was. Uh, you know, 19 runs, that's what, sort of like two overs, isn't it? They were sort of just two overs better in, in their T20 match, you know, against the South Africans. Uh, but but one, one thing I remember, you remember at the start of the tournament, uh, South Africa left their captain out, Dana van Nierkirk, and everyone said, or you said actually, well, you know, this is an appalling decision. Or lots of other people said it was an appalling decision. Dale Stain said it was an appalling uh, decision. But actually, I wonder whether, to some extent, it was vindicated. Uh, you know, this is their first final. And if you set your standards high, then you're saying, this is our benchmark for the future. And, it, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that one decision got them to the final, but. I don't know. If it, it's, it's a sort of it is a line in the sand, isn't it? Really, or, or you know, it's it's it, you're 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 setting your mark. This is where we want to be, and this is the fitness or whatever discipline that we require of our players. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether it was just a coincidence, but they were playing at home, of course. But they made the final, their first ever final in either men's or women's ICC uh, your main events, either T Twenty or, or Fifty Over cricket. Yeah, and and it, actually, in that sense, it made it quite an emotional sporting weekend, really, because I was hoping that the Welsh rugby team would really res- have a resurgence and, and perform brilliantly. Although I actually wanted England to win, I wanted it to be a tight game and I wanted Wales to have some optimism going forwards. And then today, Sunday, I wanted South Africa to, to win their first ever World Cup in cricket because, as you say, they've never done it. And I just felt that there was a sort of upsurge of, of optimism, wasn't there? It was at home, Cape Town, fantastic crowd. They just played brilliantly to beat England in the semi-final. And I thought they just had a, a, a sniff of a chance, even though they've never beaten Australia in a T20 women's game. So, you know, the odds were against them. But you just thought maybe this was their moment. And the Australians were just too too disciplined. England, a bit, you know, a bit disappointing in that semi-final. Obviously, they'll be bitterly disappointed they weren't able to chase the score. I think prop, the problem they had was they gave away too many runs towards the end of the innings. And when it was about three overs to go, and I was thinking, who are they going to bowl in those last three overs? Lauren Bell, as the emerging player, the, the opening bowler, I feel she's got variety, control, a bit of kind of quite calm demeanour. I thought she would have been the, the, the right choice, but obviously Heather Knight and one or two commentators say, oh no, you know, Catherine Brunt, she's experienced. She's got to be the, the person to bowl these death overs and she bowled badly. And she hasn't, it's not the first time. Recently, obviously she's been a fantastic servant for English cricket, wonderful cricketer, 
but I think she's either I think she's fallible at the end of the innings. She doesn't bowl. She hasn't got much control of her back of the hand slower ball. She's bowled a couple of free hits with uh, waist high full tosses, and she went for eighteen off her last over. It can happen to anybody, but I feel that they, that we England missed a trick there. They could have used the new girl, if you like, uh, rather like Owen Morgan plumping for Jofra Archer in the in the final of the World Cup. You know, give it to the person who you feel is just sort of emerging as your kingpin or whatever, or queenpin, perhaps I should say. And I thought they, they, they got that wrong and it really cost them the game. Well, I mean, if you look at it in sort of those sort of boldest terms, I suppose it, it, it did, didn't it? 18 off the last over and England were one hit away from winning the game. They were lot, they lost by five runs. So, I mean, they, they were in a good position to win the match, though, weren't they? They were 50-odd for no wicket, you know, on the chase. Yeah, they, they panicked a bit down the order as well, uh, which didn't help. A couple of players just came in and played a big shot first ball and, and perished. It, 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 yeah, it was just it wasn't a very calm performance. And actually, talking of, of you know calmness, composure, that's the other thing about Catherine Brunt. She gets very agitated if things don't go quite uh, to plan. You know, she you can see her sort of slamming down her. Well, she wasn't wearing a hat, but if she was wearing a hat, she'd be throwing it on the ground and kind of kicking the dirt, uh, just in in sort of frustration more than anything. And you want a calm head in those situations, don't you? Which I think is why. Archer is so important to England's future because you don't know what he's thinking, do you? Never mind his talent and his skill. At the death overs, which are so tense and nerve-wracking, if you've got somebody like that who just almost doesn't have any nerves, apparently, that's a big asset. Mm. Two cracking semi-finals, though. I mean, the final was a little bit underwhelming because you just sort of sense that Australia had it for for most of the match, they just felt as if they were in control. There was never a, there was never a moment in the game where you thought they were out of control. They, you know, when even when they were batting, you thought, yeah, they they're going to get enough here. And then when they get got their score on the board, you know, one fifty plus, you thought, yeah, that's probably going to be enough because of the pitch it was just a bit grabby, and you just expected their experienced cricketers to to work it out. And they've got you know, someone like, I mean, at least Perry in the field, that wonderful throw, wonderfully athletic throw. Uh, to affect that run out t- towards the end, it just sort of summed them up. Really, it was an excellent piece of fielding. I mean, it didn't surprise you because you you know uh, she's capable of doing that. But it it, it was just sort of dead eyed a bit of fielding. But but two very good semi finals. India close and England close. I think you know the the, the sort of the romantic. Um, cricket follower was happy to see South Africa win, get to the final and see whether they could upset Australia. It, was, it always felt, I think, a bit of a long shot uh, today. So the challenge is there, isn't it? And it has been for a long time now. You know, Which team can really seriously challenge Australia on a consistent basis? I mean, I suppose you know something like the the WPL that's that's coming up that's been played in India will you know raise the standard further across the board and you 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 probably see India as a a team that could really consistently challenge Australia in the future and win uh, ICC tournaments England of course has got the, have got the investment but Australia got the investment they you know going back and they've also got fantastic conditions and they've got that that mentality as well that they've you know they've really focused on their game have they really focused on the women's game in Australia I suppose what you're hoping for the world game for the world women's game is that the WPL conjures up a couple of new players uh, or you know it gives them the experience of pressure situations and big time temperaments and that you find a batter that can consistently clear the ropes. 
both possibly both sides, sort of offside, extra cover, and and obviously over mid wicket, and maybe a mystery spinner in the same way as some of these franchise tournaments have unearthed some brilliant mystery spinners like Rashid Khan. You know, perhaps this is the opportunity for an India or you know another country to to expose uh, a young player who has a bit of mystery with the spin. Uh, to a improve their ability in the WPL and then obviously do the same for their country because you sort of feel like 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 you said with both those semi-finals it just needed one person to do to do you know get 10 off two balls or something rather than two dots and that could have changed the game and 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 conversely somebody who could have just uh, nipped out a Beth Mooney early on with a googly or something like that and it could have been a different story. I mean, the trouble is Australia have so much depth in batting particularly, and they seem to have a lot of bowling options. But, you know, T20 is all about somebody coming in with a, an impactful three-over performance, whether it's with the bat or the ball, and changing the game. And you know, other countries need to find one or two players like that. Obviously, Nat Siver is that player for England, uh, can England come up with a, a two or three others? And can India, can South Africa also? Mm. I thought Nasser made an interesting point uh, after the game when he was talking about England in that sort of really tight situation. You know, decent crowd, you know, barracking for the home side, right behind them, pressure moments. Of course, England went to the West Indies before uh, Christmas and they had a bit of a stroll, really, and they were never tested. You know, West Indies, uh, West Indies women's cricket is on a real downward at the moment and they you know they they won those matches easy actually what you want is really competitive games that test you and put you in those situations where you you know you you are in tight finishes but if you don't find yourself in those positions very often when the big match comes and the the big crunch situation is there you don't have that experience of it and and perhaps actually playing in you know something like the WPL there'll be more of those uh, situations for players to experience and you know you get you get used to it and you can deal with it when it when it happens now you're grumpy aren't you this weekend because of something england have done in new zealand tell us what it is no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm never grumpy. Yours you're, never. you're even but known as grumpy in the TMS box. <laughs> Listen, uh, that, that, that's, that goes back. That goes back to something that happened in the 1990s. So you get, you get one, one incident, and you get tarnished with something. But um, <laughs> people will be listening to this, and uh, some people will be listening to this before play starts on the fourth day in Wellington. Some people will be listening to it later. Some people might be listening to it after the results as. As, as no, is known in, in Wellington I think England will win the game they, they should do from the position they were in but what I don't understand is why they enforce the follow on just bat again the, the England, England, this England team is so set up for batting again scoring 250 really quickly setting New Zealand 500 to win in two days, the weather forecast is good two days to bowl them out, 500 on the board what happens in this situation is you just give you just let the opposition back into the game. You've also got quite an aging bowling attack, so you know Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, and you know how many overs can you keep on getting out of them over? You know if you're in the field for quite a long time. I mean they they got picked up three late wickets on the third day, so that you know that obviously was a, a massive bonus 
for them and that you know they're still in a very strong position in the game but that I think they would be in a much stronger position after three days if they batted again just you just take the opposition down you just bat them out of the game this way New Zealand got a, a bit of a sniff but I mean you know you, you can argue with it you know you can argue about the follow-on it it pro, you can win both ways of course you can you can you can win following on and you can win just batting again what what's what's now vogue is to bat again isn't it and because people recognize that you, you, you do take the other team out of the game i think i would have enforced the follow-on if england had knocked over those three wickets quickly in the morning uh, and you know taken a lead of 280 something like that then i can understand the logic there but they they were whacked around a, a bit the lead came down to 226 and i i just I don't know, just take the other team out of the match. Enforce, don't enforce the follow-on. You 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 see it in a completely different way, don't you? Well, yeah, I do. I, I I like the idea of enforcing the follow-on if you haven't had a lot of work that day, and they hadn't had a lot of work. They'd actually saved Anderson and Broad back anyway. They hadn't opened the bowling with them because they were sort of thinking they might polish off the New Zealand first innings quite quickly. They didn't quite as quickly as they were hoping, but it didn't take them entire session for instance and and so I would have definitely enforced a follow-on I thought there was still a little bit in the pitch it's obviously getting easier as time goes on but I thought it was you know grayish day a little bit warmer than the first couple of days so you'd have thought there might be a bit of swing in fact there was a bit of swing but the New Zealand batsmen batted much better than they had in the first innings so I, I always think if if you if you haven't fielded for that long on the day when you've got the chance of enforcing mm. a follow-on, enforce it unless it's you know two hundred and one or two hundred and two, you know, just just a, a matter of a couple of runs or something. And I, 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 you know, every team is now nervous to enforce a follow-on on the back of really only one game, and that was the famous match in two thousand and one, which of course India against Australia, which India won with a dramatic performance by VVS Lachman and Raul Dravid to bat the entire day and both get a double hundred and they they beat Australia having been asked to follow on it's mad to to apply every bit of uh, opportunity or relate every bit of opportunity to that Uh, and in New Zealand where there is still something in the pitch I think they should have enforced the follow-on definitely and they okay it didn't work but they're still in a good position New Zealand are still behind and in the morning England could easily get two or three mm. quick wickets and then you know polish off the game and actually also I think kind of almost cryptically Ben Stokes quite like quite likes the idea of a run chase and maybe he's even hoping it's 280 because England make mincemeat of Chasing 280 against New Zealand, don't they? <laughs> well, well, indeed. Um, I mean, only three teams. The Ben Stokes, England, yeah. anyway. Only, th- only three teams in the history. You're right. Only three teams in the history of the game have lost enforcing the fo- after enforcing the follow-on. So that match you were talking about in 2001, of course, Headingley 1981, and then way back in the 19th century, 1894. So history and everything suggests that yeah, England will be fine, and I think they will be fine. I mean, they should be. There's a bit of turn and bounce. Uh, they're they're going to be fresh for the, the the fourth day. The new ball is there, uh, three overs old. But I I come back to the point that England England I think would be in a much better position after three days if they batted again because they'd be five hundred ahead with two days left than they are at the moment. So I don't you you can argue it both ways, and ultimately it's probably not going to make 
that, that much difference. I mean, there was I mean, there's one game I did think about that was sort of a good template for what's happening here, where you can just make it tighter for yourself than you need to, and that was Trent Bridge in 2005, where England took an, a lead against Australia of 259. They enforced the follow-on. Australia at one point were 261 for four, so they were ahead by a couple with four down, and then England bowled them out for. A, they, and England needed to chase 129, and they nearly cocked it up. Uh, they won by three wickets, and it was incredibly tight and tense at the end. Shane Warne uh, weaving his magic and putting England under pressure. So I think that actually that is a better sort of template for this game than any of the others or it's a better example of what can potentially go wrong than than any of the others um but england should have enough to win the game i mean if if, if new zealand bat well seven wickets left they, they could score another I don't know, 230 runs so england will be chasing just over 200 to win and yeah well i mean this things could go wrong with this england side you know they, they go at it go at it hard yeah. lose a couple of early wickets uh, and the spinner gets involved, brace well possibly with the ball turning. I'm actually surprised at how much it has turned in Wellington. Normally, you think of Wellington as being a sort of seeming pitch, and it's actually sometimes quite flat in the past. But there is there is something there uh, for the spinners. So so who knows? But if England were 500 ahead, they they'd have had this game in the pocket already. You mentioned the conditions there, and I, I heard some quite interesting uh, discussion on commentary about swing and what influences and what doesn't, especially at Wellington, which is one known as the windy city, isn't it? And it, it is very vulnerable to different sorts of wind. And they were saying, well, you know, when it's a, a sharp, cold southerly, it doesn't swing. Whereas if it's a bit of a more of a moist northerly or something, a sort of calmer sort of wind, a slightly warmer wind, it, it, might, right, yeah. it might swing more. I mean, this is all just fallacy and guesswork I'm afraid and I credit to Jimmy Anderson who who recognizes either inadvertently or scientifically what are the conditions because the fact is the main thing that affects swing is the stability of the air and if it's very windy that that equals unstable air therefore it's very difficult to swing the ball the swing needs very nice calm conditions generally and to allow the seam to act as a rudder and stay in a a fairly stable position as soon as you've got gusty wind or strong wind the seam will wobble about and that will negate any opportunity for swing the other thing that uh, affects it is that generally and this isn't always the case but generally clear blue skies cause heat to rise off the surface of the pitch because of reflection and refraction and all that and therefore, you again get unstable air. So that's why on a very sunny day, and I know there are going to be listeners here who say, well, it's swung all over the place on a very sunny day. It does occasionally do that, and I can't explain that. Uh, but generally, scientists will agree, the ones who know about aerodynamics, will agree that a sunny day, a sunny hot day, causing warm air to come off the pitch causes instability, therefore the ball doesn't swing. If it's grey and there isn't sun... You don't get that heat coming off the pitch. Therefore, hopefully the air on the the pitch surface or just above the surface will be stable. And that should enhance the opportunity for swing. And Anderson recognised that because on the windy day, he just tried to seam the ball in New Zealand's first innings and got three really good scalps using the the clever skill of the the wobble seam, basically trying to nip the ball off the pitch. 
And then in the second innings, New Zealand second innings, when it was grey skies and a bit more stable, he tried to swing it and did get some some movement, but unfortunately no wickets. Hmm. Well, the weather forecast for the last two days of this game is for uh, mainly sunny weather, around about 18 degrees. So is the ball going to swing? If there's no if there's no breeze, that'd be fine, will it? I mean, it, it depends how hot the sun is. Bit of cloud is. cover. If, if, if there's cloud cover, cloud cover always helps. Because if you, the hot sun is going to create that instability. And also, it depends on the ball as well. Sometimes balls, certain balls just don't swing as well. Sometimes you get two balls out of the same box. One swings and the other one doesn't. And no one can explain that. I was interested in listening to Paul Collingwood afterwards saying that we, we took the aggressive option. We took the aggressive option. And that's what England have been doing at the moment. To take the aggressive option. And that was to, to enforce the follow and try to win the game uh, today. Um, I don't know. I... I what, what, What's wrong with taking the smart option? I, I think I think cricket is about being smart in in this every situation you find yourself in, and so England have have, have found that being aggressive works for them, being positive uh, works for them. But there are times when you do need to just adapt slightly. That's that's all. I think that's the only tweak I would I would sort of suggest. And whenever I think whenever I watch sport, I suppose with my sort of journalistic. Uh, hat on or head on if you like as Glenn Hoddle used to say um, is you, you always think how can we improve how can you do this better how, you know what 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 would work better here that's all it is I'm not I'm not criticizing this England team they've given us a huge amount of fun they I mean Pakistan they were you know exhilarating to watch although occasionally there were moments of frustration there particularly how they batted in the, towards the end of their second innings in Multan they were fantastic last summer so I'm not these are these are just small things really that I've, I've spotted that every, I think every now and again you just got to be a bit bit smarter that's that's all it is um it's not about just going at it bull a gate bull at a gate just you know just sometimes and I, and I think they've done that a little bit roots innings in the first innings for example the way england batted in the second innings uh, after the first interval in 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 the last test match where they just thought hold on a second we need to be a bit clever and that's 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 all it is and okay enforce the follow on probably win the game um, that again probably win the game so it, you know it, it, you'll, you'll probably you will probably end up with the, the same result you just go about it in a different way but I, I think there's probably probably less risk batting again than there is enforcing the follow on but perhaps this England side they just they actually like the idea of a bit of risk I don't know they might not like the idea of a bit of risk when New Zealand are 516 for 7 <laughs> sometime on the fourth day but they'll chase well, it yeah anyway. they'll chase it and lose that's the point yeah, they'll chase yeah, well, it and lose whatever go gets it they'll have a well I, I don't think they'll mind you know I was thinking actually uh, about the, the England team when uh, People were talking about well, Bearstow, you know, possibly coming back or potentially coming back, and who's going to miss out, and how do they judge players? How do they judge batters? I was thinking it's become, especially under Stokes and McCullum, it's become almost judging batsmen by strike rate rather than average. You know, the old traditional way of uh, selecting a batsman and you know backing a player was okay. So he's averaging. 37 in county cricket or 42 or whatever it is and his last 10 innings test innings he's averaged 29 or 35 or whatever and that's how they evaluate whether a player is worth his place or not but it's becoming more the case where you want to see someone with a really good strike rate in this particular team it's almost like strike rate has become more important mm. than average because strike rate of course doesn't take into account dismissals it just takes into account how many runs you score per ball. And that's kind of almost England's mantra is they've got 
seven or eight batsmen in the team. There's two or three who are going to play you know, fairly orthodoxly. So the others, let's measure them on strike rate rather than average. There are only two, aren't there? There are only two who are going to play uh, normally in inverted commas. One is folks and one is Root. Those are the only two. The other rest just go at it, really. So obviously I'm being a bit facetious in the sense that, you know, if you, you could have a strike rate of 200 by scoring four, four runs off two balls and getting out, that's obviously no good to anybody. But if we can all see that a player is you know, getting some reasonable scores, but his strike rate is sort of over 100 or 90 or something like that in test cricket, that's almost good enough for, for this Stokes's, uh regime than someone who might potter along at 50 runs per 100 balls and average 29. Final question, uh, Yoz, before we say goodbye. So let, let's just say this was the, I don't know, the third test match of the summer uh, next year. That's all this year. Um, England won, Australia won, and Australia are all out 226 runs behind, uh, batting second. Do England enforce the follow-on? Do you think they would enforce the follow-on in that situation or do you think they would bat again? Well, I, I think it depends. I think it depends on the situation, the time of day, the, the pitch conditions, the weather forecast over the next couple of days, how tired certain bowlers are. I, you're right, maybe one should take into account that your bowlers are not in the first flush of youth. Uh, that is a consideration. And of course, what that went almost horribly wrong for England in that 2005 match you mentioned at Trent Bridge, because uh, England, Michael Vaughan was captain and he asked the, the bowlers, do you fancy enforcing the follower and they all said yes we do and then Simon Jones limped off and never bowled again mm. uh, so they were down to four bowlers so you know it's it is a risk in in some cases and so it, it all depends on the conditions but for me I think we're all being spooked by one game in 2001 mm. and take the I, I think take the aggressive option to use Paul Collingwood's phrase and stick them in again as long as you haven't been out in the field for four and a half hours. Well, here's an, aggr here's an aggressive option. Bat again and smash it around, which is what England have been doing uh, for the last year. That, that sounds quite aggressive to me, and it also sounds a bit more cricket smart to me. Anyway, there we go. Um, just one thing, you talk about the 2001 games, everyone's spooked by that. Australia, 1981 at Headingley. Do you know how many they were uh, um, ahead on the first innings and, and forced to follow on? In this game, 2-2-6. In that game... It was 227. About 205? 227. Yeah, 227. It's almost identical. Anyway, they enforced and lost. Uh, England enforced and, well, prob probably uh, will win. I would say if tonight they would definitely win if they were with a lead of 500 with two days left. But there we go. We'll, we'll see what happens. And, um, you know, people, listen, people will listen to this after they know what's happened in the, in the day's play. And you can... Uh, judge our words but I would I would reiterate I think England should win this game um, but I think they would absolutely definitely win this game uh, if they batted again right that's it Yoz that is it that is it we'll see we'll see who's right yeah. excellent we'll probably be both right in a sense yeah okay well um, yeah join us again on the analyst inside cricket thanks very much uh, for listening goodbye for now Podcast Network.